We have a disease I call horizontal prospect. We should be vertical prospect. Horizontal prospecting means we take any lead wherever it comes. It's just a, a horizontal. We're, we're looking far and wide across the plains to grab everything. Vertical is where I'm going deep into an organization. I'm developing three, four, five relationships. I'm staying within that tight lane. Success in today's marketplace especially is not about horizontal prospecting. It's about vertical prospecting. This is how we're going to change this pathetic win rate. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Win Rate Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Mark Hunter. And Mark is one of my guests on this episode of the Win Rate Podcast. Mark is the sales hunter. That has to be the best name in sales. Mark is a sales speaker, sales consultant, and author of multiple books, including High Profit Prospecting and High Profit Selling. He also hosts his own podcast, The Sales Hunter Podcast. My other guest today for this roundtable discussion about sales effectiveness, the buyer experience, and increasing your win rates is Jeff Bajorek. Jeff is a sales trainer, advisor, and coach for B2B sales leaders. He's currently serving as chief revenue officer at Oracy's, and he hosts his own podcast titled Rethink the Way You Sell. Now, a few quick items, or actually two quick items of business before we jump into today's discussion. First, if you're interested in getting even more actionable ideas about how to elevate your sales effectiveness, increase your win rates, then please subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Win Rate Wednesday. And each week you'll join 50,000 top sellers who receive one actionable tip to accelerate your win rates. So to subscribe, just visit my website, andypaul.com. Second, enrollment's now open for the next session of my Buyer Experience Bootcamp, starting September 12th. Now this Buyer Experience Bootcamp is my five-week group coaching program that teaches you how to elevate your win rates by delivering the buying experience your buyers actually want and need. How you sell is indeed how you win. So for more information, and to grab your seat in this class, go to andypaul.com slash bootcamp. Okay, are you ready? Well, let's jump into the discussion. Welcome back, everyone. I'm excited to talk to my two guests today, Mark Hunter and Jeff Bajorek. Mark Hunter, the sales hunter, the best name in sales, right? We'd have to agree it's the best name in sales, the sales hunter. So, Mark, on the off chance someone doesn't really know who you are other than this great name, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, when you're born with the last name Hunter, you got to use it, right? So that's, hey, what the heck? And so much market research went into it. It sounds yes. logical. It sounds it cool. Yeah. Let's go ahead and do it. And well, by the way, it's trademark. Don't steal it. So anyway, hey, I've been doing this for years. What is this? I get to speak to a lot of organizations around the country and around the world, all around sales, all really around prospecting, top of the funnel. How do you develop more leads? that you, well, how do you develop better leads, I should say, mm -hmm. that you can close at full price, quite out there on LinkedIn, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. But the website is thesaleshunter.com. Yeah. Because we could talk about this later. I, I, this is a podcast about win rates. This is, most sellers don't need more leads. They need better leads. They need, they, the they whole need, argument is you want to really have better leads so you can spend more time with fewer leads. Exactly. That's really what the objective is. Right. Mm -hmm. The pipeline of session has been destructive, but we'll get into that. Jeff Bajork, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me, Andy. I'm working with a couple of different sales teams right now to help them uncover the truth about what's really holding them back. And what I learned, the more I work with teams, is that it's not about selling skills. Uh, a lot of times it's not even about leadership skills. It's about doing a bunch of things right, but not being able to connect those dots. So I consult with companies to help them understand the real truth about what is holding them back and then help them understand how to do their very best work. Excellent. So yeah, this study that was done is commissioned by a third-party research firm, did it for some executives at Franklin Covey that wrote this excellent book called Strikingly Different Selling, came out just a year or so ago. And the results of the research found that, gosh, it's either 45 or 50 or 500 companies that they, they interviewed, that average win rate in B2B on sales, 100K and higher. So yeah, 100K is pretty low bar these days. 17%. 17%. So that high on, on average in B2B. This is part of what motivated me to start this podcast is as well as the fact I've been working in this particular area for decades is sellers are winning one out of less than one out of every five of the most qualified opportunities. So why is that? Mark, 
Well, what, what it cuts, it's really not one out of five. It's about one out of six. Now, think about this. You take Okay, I rounded six, up. I could have rounded the other I mean, sure. you take six people and you invest all this time in them. You take them all the way down to the close process and you can't close them. That means you wasted over 80% of your time. Yeah. And I'll argue it's because we're doing two things. One, we're trying to close anybody and everybody without first establishing. Remember that whole thing, your unique selling proposition. I want to throw that out the window. I want to throw out unique selling proposition. Right. It's unique value proposition. Because really what the customer is looking for today is a solution that is unique to them. And this is where I think we go wrong because go right back up to the top where we're talking about. Most people don't need more leads. You're right. They don't need, they need better leads because the objective is I really want to qualify my leads faster so I have, so I can spend less time with you because I really only want to spend time with a few people. And that's how I really understand them. Mm -hmm. It is a travesty. But I think what's happened is we have sales managers that are demanding. We have X amount in our pipeline. Oh, sure. You, you don't oh. have enough in your pipeline. You don't have enough in your pipeline. No, you probably have too much in your pipeline. Oh, you're at, when your win rates are low, you absolutely have too much in your pipeline. Yes. So, I mean, we can't, I don't think there's going to be any argument here. And I'd invite people to come on the show. If they're listening to this, they can argue this point with me. I'll <laughs> connect with me on LinkedIn. We'll get you set up and come on and we'll argue about it. You know, if your win rates are at 17%, one of, well, there's a couple things at play, but two main things that could be at play is one is you really don't have product market fit or you just really kind of suck at selling. And yeah, both can be addressed. What I want to, before we get to Jeff and not to ignore you, Jeff, but is oh, just follow up on something Mark was saying, as you said, they want a unique solution that's unique to them. So explain what you mean by unique. Well, here's the whole situation. Every customer feels they're unique. I mean, Jeff, you and I, you know, and Andy, we've had a chance to work with a lot of companies in our career. And how many times do we walk into a company and they say, oh, we're so unique. And, and, and really at the end of the day, all we do is change a few initials change a few stories, and it's the same thing. But our customers have to believe that they're unique, and, and they want to. And if we don't place value, and, and one of the ways that I, I love talking about this is, we, right now, the big thing in sales is to tell stories. <laughs> I don't want to tell stories. I want to hear stories. Mm -hmm. I want you, the customer, to tell me your story. Because ultimately, I have to create this level of relationship with you, this level of trust. Right. And if I don't do that, I don't really understand what your needs are. Exactly. I can't do that if I'm racing through because what I don't know what I'm working on. What your view is on how you're unique. I, no, I'm sorry, Jeff. I, <laughs> I, this is, he, I went into this because he pushed a button I believe so passionately about. And we're going to talk about this again in more a little bit later is, yeah, we, we train sellers like to show up and say, we work with hundreds of companies like yours, but the buyer is saying, and the, we're telling them, well, that's social proof. But the buyer is saying, well, no, we're unique, right? We look at, we do things differently here. Our processes are different. Our perspective is different. Our business is different. And as soon as you say, we work with hundreds of companies like yours, they think, yeah, they're not listening. They're not making an effort to really understand me. And this came up in Servant Spades. And then Jeff, jump into you, I promise, is that okay. the, I'd read this abstract on this study that's done in the medical field for using AI decision assist systems which they've been used in the medical field for a while. And in this particular study, they're showing that there was some curve where eventually the patient's trust in the systems start declining. And they went out and interviewed the patients. So why is this? Because, you know, theoretically, they make better decisions than doctors or better give better advice than doctors. And what the patient said was, the system just doesn't understand how I feel the pain. It doesn't understand how this disease is affecting me differently than everybody else, right? I can't understand why I'm unique. And this, I think, is, this is one of the reasons why if you're a human in sales and you're practicing being human, AI is not going to get your job because AI is never going to be able to get to that level of understanding about what's unique. And it's not that it can't be helpful. It's going to be hugely helpful in many dimensions. But this is a way that you as a human seller can stand out. You reach this level of understanding about how the buyer perceives what's unique to them. And I Mark, I learned that lesson really early in my career. So anyway, Jeff, to you. Well, you touched on so many things there. And, and I had a question for Mark about was a unique solution, a bespoke solution? Because I don't think it has to be. I think you can sell the same physical product or 
piece of software if that's what you sell. Mm -hmm. But with your perspective and your context on how to apply it, it can become very unique. The AI point is really interesting too. And the, the best analogy I can think of is when we went from during lockdowns and COVID, when we went from selling face-to-face -face in person, some of us, to being forced to go to Zoom, we lost a little something. We could say the same words. You could have most of the same body language, at least your facial expressions and how animated you get and things like that. But there's just that little energy hand. exchange, you, you know, that you lost. Right. And what AI will never have is bedside manner. What AI will never have is tailored context experience, et cetera, from that physician. And I used to sell the surgeons, right? I mean, that physician who remembers that one time when they saw this one thing and they remember how it felt to them to deliver a less than optimal outcome to the patient. And so they're biased toward or against those kinds of symptoms. There is something to the humanness of what we do. And while AI will replace the thought processes and the computational power of humans like that, it already has, there's still that thing about being human that, and it'll get close. It'll get closer than we're comfortable admitting. Like that's just the sure. way computing works. Sure. But I think there is an unquantifiable magic that humans have from person to person that you cannot replace. That's what makes us human. And I will tell you what, if they ever do replace that, selling is not our biggest problem. So I'm not going to worry about it at that point. There you go. Well, so he has just predicted the end of mankind in right. 2098. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bajoric. Yeah. I mean, that may be his problem in 2098. That's not going to be Mark. You and I are not going to have that problem in 2098. <laughs> yeah, I will not either. <laughs> That's true, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Medicine will change. You never know. So, so I want to focus a little bit on this idea of win rates because, you know, to me, as for an individual seller, and I, I was certainly brought up this way in sales, is my win rate was the single most important metric I paid attention to. And I think it still is the single most important metric for an individual contributor today. But I find is that most individual contributors have no idea what their win rate is. And obviously, if you're not aware of it, if you're not tracking it, if it's, you don't have any sense of what the impact is having on your business, it's never going to get better. Yeah, we talked about 17% win rate. So, sir, curious your perspective on win rates and why isn't it being tracked? And then we'll get on some practical things that sellers can do, but why are people seem to be afraid of it? Because it's so low? I think there are a lot of factors that can go to manipulate it. And I wonder if it is not as important as revenue is. And so when all of the focus, and we talked a little bit about social media before we started recording, mm. when all the focus is on pipeline, because there are people like you and me and Mark talking about the importance of having enough opportunities to work, because that is a common problem. We don't often talk about the win rate on the end. And I, that's why we're talking about it now, of course. But when mm. if you're an executive, if you're reading 10K reports and listening to earnings calls and things like that, it's always about revenue. And... I just think it's, I think it's something that it gets missed. I can tell you, I was never managed to win, right? In, in the field, I was managed to revenue. And I think that there are a lot of reps in the field who are managed to that number that goes on those quarterly reports versus the win percentage. So I, I it, maybe it's just a perspective issue. I, I'm going to argue, I'm going to push back a little bit because sure. I think win rate does really impact the volume. And so many companies, you look at 10K reports and so forth, that revenue that they're reporting is basically recurring revenue because those customers that they have in line, they just come back, they buy and buy. Mm -hmm. One of the things that salespeople are charged with, and this is the thing that I, I believe is the holy grail, salespeople are charged with creating incremental opportunities, incremental. Mm -hmm. In other words, business that would not happen otherwise. Incredible. So this New truly business. does require a closing but I think what we look at is we look at the close ratio and we have to realize that the close ratio is driven by the activity. And I, I see too many sales managers, what they're doing is they're trying to accelerate the amount of activities. And it's not so much accelerating the amount of activity, it's the quality of the activity. In other sure. words, I mean, if I can have three good conversations a day, I know in my own business, if I can have three good conversations a day, my calendar is full. My calendar is full. But if I fail to have three quality, 
it it's not about let's send out 50,000 emails. Let's send out, it, it, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. That's what I think sales managers fail to look at is we fail to really look at the quality of the activity. And I will, I equate that to the amount of tension that's created in those conversations. And so when you have a way too many top of funnel conversations, when you're sending 50,000 emails a day, when you're really trying to just add a bunch of volume, cast the widest net possible to hope to catch too many fish, it's really difficult to create significant and relevant context to each one of those fish, to use that analogy. And anytime a close rate is low, it's because of a lack of tension in the system. You have not created the proper emotional gap between where the prospect is and where they want to be. And it's really difficult to do that at scale unless you sell a consumer product good and you're like, got dandruff? Use this shampoo and you won't have dandruff anymore. Like that's selling a very transactional product through a large scale message that way. But when people want unique valued when provided to them, when they want a solution that feels like it is specifically tailored, not just to their problem, but the way they feel their problem is best solved, you can't do that at scale. And I think there's another really important thing here at work as it relates to tension. And people are afraid to sell because they don't want to be considered too salesy because they don't want to create that tension because that level of discomfort is that we have to toe that line at some point in order to get the job done. And Andy, I love your book. You talk about being salesy. I talk about being salesy and not wanting to approach that line. We don't want to be someone that we're not. We need to sell authentically. We need to do our very best work the way only we can. But we do have to remember that we do have a job here. And one of the things I loved about Sell Without Selling Out was that you showed people a really good framework for how to do that without crossing over that line and feeling gross about it. But I mean, we can't forget what we're here to do. And I had someone say, Jeff, that just feels like a quid pro quo. It feels too salesy for me. I said, well, you're offering a meeting and some value in that meeting. And you're asking for some of their time and promising to deliver some value for that time. Yes, that's a quid pro quo. There's no two ways around that. You are offering something, they're offering something. That's selling. Well, I like that you brought that up because I think this speaks to a particular mindset that sellers sort of miss, which is, I mean, I like to ask the question of sellers, why are you in sales? And why have you stayed in sales? And the answer, the longer people are in sales, it tends the answer tends to morph a little bit, right? I mean, we may mm-hmm. have thought it's exciting to get into it. We'll make a bunch of money. But as we stay in it, we say, well, I'm staying in it because I get a sense of achievement, fulfillment from helping my customers achieve certain things that are important to them. And so this gets to your idea of the quid pro quo is, as I say, well, sure, that's why you're staying in sales. Well, think about it. If you're in sales still because you want to be able to help your buyers, you can't help your buyers if you can't win their business. And it's, that's just, Fact of life. And so yeah, people sort of say, oh, yeah, it seems too quid, too salesy. You're talking about winning. It's like, well, first of all, there's a way you go about it that's not salesy. But secondly is, I can't help my buyers. I can't get that sense of fulfillment I, that will keep me in the business unless I can learn how to win their business. Mm-hmm. I was talking with a CEO yesterday, and he was saying that his sales team, he's going to bring me in, wants, wants me to work with his sales team. And he has an individual, a lady who's been with the company 25 years, absolutely a rock star, loves customers, mm-hmm. but does not, can't stand sales. She is not, she's the customer service manager. Right. And, and yet he says, you know what? She sells more than anybody in the company. Mm-hmm. She has conversations with customers. She goes out and meets with customers. She uncovers things, she, but she doesn't want to be called sales. Right. The dog, I'm not sales because again, it's this perception, but. It comes back to this whole thing that, Jeff, you were talking about, and I, I really feel that the definition of sales is helping others see and achieve what they didn't think was possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what sales is all about. We're mm-hmm. charged with creating incremental opportunities, which means customers don't wake up and say, gee, I don't know what I can see, but I sure hope I achieve it today. Right, so, I mean, we have to be prepared to get in their face a little bit. Well, but also it speaks to a different question because Jeff was talking about, I forget Exact thing, but sort of triggered the thought of my mind is one of the things we do that's really, I think, sort of self-defeating is all this research just says, look, buyers are 75% of the way through their buying process before we 
integrate in touch with them the first time. And it's like, just not true. It's not true. I mean, and then you get the research that says, uh, well, the studies, 75% of buyers don't want to talk to sellers. And I hear that. And my first response to that is, well, that's completely wrong. 100% of buyers don't want to talk to sellers, but the, the self-aware ones know they need to, right? Because to the point you just made, Mark, is, yeah, you're familiar with these concepts of strong ties, weak ties. It comes from this developed by sociology back in the 1970s. Social network theory is that, hey, people we work with, we develop strong ties with. But the net result is we all know the same stuff. What the, the sociology is called redundant information. So we need to talk to people we have weak ties with to help ask the questions we don't know to ask ourselves, as Mark talked about, to give us the insights we don't know that we need in order to make better understand the challenges we're facing and the outcomes we can achieve by addressing them. And so buyers need to talk to salespeople, right? And now a message from Closed. An often overlooked way to improve your win rate is to identify and close win-back opportunities. After conducting tens of thousands of buyer interviews, Closed has found that 10% of closed-loss deals have the potential to be won back at some point in the future. Now, identifying these win-back opportunities early and knowing when and how to follow up could be worth millions. Closed recently helped one of their customers identify and win a $500,000 win-back opportunity within days of it being marked as closed-lost. Closed automatically reached out to perform a win-loss interview when the deal was marked closed-loss in the CRM, and the buyer said, well, actually, we're still interested and we're ready to sign the contract. Closed is finding win-back deals on a daily basis for their clients. How about for you? To help you get started receiving the value of consistent, direct, candid feedback from your buyers, Closed is offering all my listeners a free gift. Just go to winlosstoolkit.com and they'll send you a bunch of valuable tools to help you get your win-loss program started. The toolkit includes a comprehensive guide to running a successful win-loss program, an ROI calculator, and they'll even perform your first win-loss interview for free to help you see the value of getting feedback directly from your buyers. So to claim your gift, visit winlosstoolkit.com. That's winlosstoolkit.com. And now a message from Alego. Are you struggling to make your sales team more efficient and improve time to productivity? With Lego's modern revenue enablement platform, marketing sales and enablement teams get on the same page for continuous improvement. So break through all the noise and deliver the buying experiences that your buyers today demand. Enable faster ramp times for your rep and more revenue for your business in less time. See how it all can work for you. Go to alego.com slash demo. That is alego.com slash demo. I love the buyers know everything that they need to know to make the decision. And they know that before they want to talk to a salesperson that it belongs in the business myth hall of fame right next yeah. to the customer is always right. There is a lot of information out there. There is the entire wealth of information in the world in our pockets. I got it. How come there aren't that many people who have thought about how much information that is, how difficult it is to sift through and how you get through a tiny fraction of a percentage of it before you lose interest, feel overwhelmed, and decide to put that down and go take a walk. You need a guide. You need someone to provide context. And the mistake, and I, let's take this back to close rate. It, and I've worked with companies that are like, okay, great. You want this to be self-serve? Awesome. You filled out a form on our website. Hello, my name is Jeff. I'm your sales rep. Here's how you book an appointment with me when you're ready. Okay, great. Get a half a, you know, 50% rate on booking. And then we get to the, the meeting and it's okay. This is how, what, tell me about your situation. Okay. This is how we help. If you'd like to move forward, fill out this form with your pertinent information so we can start to put together a bespoke solution for you. Right. And then just allowing the customer's momentum to take them all the way through the sales process. Well, their momentum wasn't that strong when they got there. Right. And so if you as the seller are not facilitating that momentum by creating additional tension, I use the, the analogy of a rubber band all the time. Those two ends are connected and the more you stretch, the more tension there is. So you have to help draw them and lead them through your process and through their buying process without any additional propulsion, if you will, or any additional energy added to that, they fizzle out. 
Mm-hmm. And I see this time and time again. We have reps that can't close, so they bring in a sales trainer to give them negotiation and closing skills. And it's like, no, 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 you can't close because you couldn't open. There's no connection. There's no context. Trust, there's no yep. discovery. There's no anything. And But we've got a bunch of soft reps who can't close. No, they're afraid to sell, so they can't open. Well, why are they afraid? I, I think some of it is because of what we've already talked about. And that tension is this scary word. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. I just want to help them feel really good about themselves. And I'm not talking about pouring salt in an open wound and jamming your hands in there to make it really flare up on somebody. You don't have to be sadistic in order to be a really good seller, but you have to be willing to help them understand. And sometimes, a lot of times, actually, you have to get the prospect in discovery to say things out loud that they didn't realize they were thinking. You have to create Mm -hmm. a vulnerable space where they can continue to explore what is really good and, and guide them and say, okay, and So what is the cost of inaction? That's not necessarily a question you ask, but that's what you're getting to is, okay, what happens if this doesn't get solved? And then what would happen? What are the other more further reaching consequences of you not addressing this problem? But doesn't this start right at the beginning though with the inability to, not the inability, but the being afraid maybe, but just to start with the connection, right? I got to be able to connect at a human level with somebody so we start building some credibility and trust that precedes Mm -hmm. all this, right? To earn the right to ask these questions, get the answers. And it seems like that maybe is the fear point, right? I hear they're not credible. Say that again. You think, so a sales rep doesn't feel that they're credible enough to have those conversations and then to to try to earn it? They're afraid to even connect, right? Mm. Because they're being taught, hey, forget about small talk. It's all business. We're building a connection, a relationship. Don't do that. Nobody has time. It's like, all these voices telling them this. And it's like, well, that's not the case at all. Humans are still humans. This is essential stuff. We have to go step by step. I hear from more salespeople. They say, well, I could close more if marketing would just give me really good qualified leads. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, I mean, why does sales have marketing? So they have someone to blame. Why does marketing have sales? So they have someone to blame. I mean, th- this whole premise. And, and I think because salespeople are afraid to enter into that conversation because they're afraid to interrupt. They're afraid to intrude. They're afraid of it. What you're doing is we have to back up the bus here and realize that it's just a conversation. It's all I'm doing is I'm having a conversation. And yet salespeople have somehow, for some reason, again, I think sales managers do this, inflict this level of pain that says you're supposed to move every lead all the way through to close. So Mm. we keep stuff in our pipeline that should not be in our pipeline. a marketing qualified lead is anything but an SQL. And I even, I hate the term sales qualified lead because, again, I don't know until I absolutely have that conversation. And come back to something that both of you are talking about this in terms of the conversation. There has to be this level of empathy. Mm-hmm. We are reaching this point where society is so wound up. And go back to the doctor. You could go in for surgery and... Surgeon does an outstanding job. It's magnificent. But you don't know that. So you're in post-recovery and you're coming out of it and the surgeon doesn't come in to see you. But instead, it's the PA. Mm-hmm. It's the physician's assistant. Now, what's your sudden view? Like, doesn't the surgeon have time to come in to see me? You know? I mean, again, and, and yet the surgeon did a magnificent job. If we don't create that personal connection, that personal relationship with the customer, we're doomed. Because again, come back in, customers feel they know everything. And we're reaching the point where our first step in sales is to de-educate. We have to de-educate because what they know isn't what they know. Again, let's use, let's use the surgeon. Okay. We'll say you're going to have a knee replacement. Before you're going to get a knee replacement, you probably go out and spend all kinds of time on the internet. So then you're sitting down with the surgeon in his office ahead and the surgeon has to, no, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. Now, they don't say that's wrong, but they walk you through this de-education process mm-hmm. so that they can educate you as to what the knee replacement surgery is going to be like. Yeah, that's well, what we have to do in sales. Well, that's why I think the 75% thing is such a, unfortunately, I, I probably spread that at some point or another, but <laughs> as maybe we all have, but it does such a disservice because what sellers hear is, oh, they know what they want. Mm-hmm. Right, if they're seventy-five percent of the way through. By the time I talk to them the first time, they know what they want. 
So now I'm just pitching my product and to see if there's a fit. I'm not making the effort to make this connection, to build our trust and credibility, to be able to ask questions, really understand this unique point of view they have, right? To really make them feel understood because they already know what they want and they um, don't. It, it's Go ahead, Mark. I'm going to pull out a quick example. I was out to, I was out to breakfast this morning looking at the menu and here's what I wanted to order. So I told it to the wait person and she said, I, I suggest this. And I said, oh, you, I, I was joking with her. Are you telling me what I'm supposed to eat? Are you my mother? <laughs> and she said, no, I said, what's your order? I, I think you like that. And I looked at it and I go, yeah. And I said, do you like it? She said, yeah, I really like it. I said, that's what I'll have. Mm-hmm. See, in, in, in that essence, I was 75% of the way through. I was, this is You're what I was going to order. And she had to kind of de-educate me and re-educate me. And I had a great breakfast. It was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mo- and more important, the client paid for it. So yeah, boom. Anyway, it's okay. <laughs> well, but buyers want that help, right? People are, the buyer side is they're looking to make a good decision. It's an important decision for their business, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, they want to move through it expeditiously. They don't want to spend unlimited amount of time and resources and attention on it. So they're looking to say, who can help me achieve this job of making this decision? It's interesting, the relationship point. You've both come to the this conversation saying that relationships are important. And I agree that relationships are important. And in that case, the waitress with you or the server this morning had a relationship with you, Mark. You, you know, you knew your roles, the context of the room, everything that was going on. You knew mm-hmm. who was selling. You knew who was buying. You knew who was paying. And those were three different people in this situation, right? In this case, your seller made a recommendation to you based on local knowledge and context. And you gave her enough credibility to take her up on her on her recommendation. She had that relationship with you. Now, when it comes to personal relationships, I think a lot of people get this wrong and they think that their prospects are looking for friends. And you see this a lot, maybe not so much in the digital sales world where we're selling software and high ticket enterprise items and things like that. But you see, let me send you a coffee mug from your alma mater. And now that's supposed to earn me a conversation. Let me uh, invite you out for virtual happy hour. Let me knock on your door and take you donuts to your office. And that's supposed to mean that I've earned your attention. What do you think those early stage, and obviously there's something between that and I'm a world-class expert and you should be fortunate to even earn any of my time, right? Like we got to make sure that we manage the, it got to be somewhere between the extremes, but where do you think that should start? Because he's the sales hunter. (laughs) It's trademarked. Don't even think about it. (laughs) But I mean, where do these relationships need to be based on? Because I'm accused of saying, well, I mean, what, you're not allowed to be nice. You're not allowed to take someone out for a meal or buy someone a beer or take them to a ball game. I said, well, I grew up in a world in sales where I wasn't allowed to do that. And so I know it's about more than that. I think there are so many salespeople out there, though, who don't realize that it's about more than that. And so I'm curious where you guys come into this conversation, if you will, about where does the relationship actually start? Yeah, at the beginning. Go ahead, Mark. It it, it starts before (laughs) the sale, because as I love to use the line, your reputation arrives before you do. Mm. Nobody has a meeting with anybody without first Googling. Or LinkedIn. Yeah. Right. And, and well, what, and what comes up? LinkedIn. Chance yeah. are LinkedIn profile. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the relationship begins even before you get there. This particular place I was having breakfast is known for just absolutely outstanding breakfast. First time I'd ever been in there. And the only conversation I had with the waitstaff person was she had poured me a couple of cups of coffee. We were kind of joking that, are you inhaling this? Are, are you like just chugging this stuff? <laughs> so we had already had a, just a little bit of a con. And of course, I drink a lot of coffee. And so we already had this little bit of a bond. So she felt very comfortable recommending something else to me. Right. And I like, yeah, because I was kind of connecting with her because she was mocking my coffee drinking habits. Well, politely, nicely. But this. And so, yeah, I went with her. Right. Well, this speaks to what I wrote about in my book, this question all the buyers ask, which is why you? Mm -hmm. Right. The first decision they're going to make is why am I going to spend my time and attention with you? Right. That precedes everything. And it's such a simple human thing. And we, if we show up with intent, we can get that question answered. It's not a question we actually have a verbal answer to. It's people experience us, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you asked and got an answer for that. Yeah, so. you've got to be someone worth talking to and you have to have something worth talking about. You've got to be credible and you have to be relevant. You should mm-hmm. be likable. There are those who would argue that you don't need to be likable. I'll tell you what, it helps. (laughs) Don't let anybody fool you. 
<laughs> I know. And I, I, first of all, one of the biggest advocates out there, I'll just remain unnamed. We all know this person who advocates, you don't need to be likable. Actually, it's, it's quite likable. And so there's a huge irony right there. But the fact is that in sales today, the gap between winning and losing is really narrow, right? You just have to assume it is. Or if you're in a, you know, let's say any sort of software space, if you have one competitor, you've got a dozen competitors, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the mind's eye of the buyer, all the products are basically the same. And they all do somewhat the same thing and they all cost pretty much the same thing. So what are the difference makers? What are the tiebreakers? And it, it can be these really small things you think aren't important, but it's like, sure, in an absolute sense, you don't need to be like, well, absolute sense, 100% of the time, you don't need to be likable, but it costs you nothing to be likable. So why wouldn't you be? Cost you nothing. Five minutes after your presentation's done, or maybe it's 10 minutes. I'll go ahead and give you the benefit of the doubt. 10 minutes. Mine, mine particular in general. Anybody's okay. presentation. The customer has forgotten 90% of what you shared, but they will not forget how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think in this era we're in today, this becomes more and more important because we are a stressed out, hypered society wound up. So if you can have a conversation with somebody that unwinds you, Howard Schultz, when he created Starbucks, the idea was to make Starbucks the third location. Mm-hmm. You have your home, you have your work. Starbucks. This is your third location. This is your third place. Yeah. That's our objective when we're connecting with somebody. Well, what's the objective of this podcast? To connect with the audience that they feel there's some sort of a, a connection they have with you, Andy, the mm-hmm. host, and the guests you bring on. Mm-hmm. The, the concept of making the customer or the prospect feel safe with you, I think, is not talked about enough. Maybe because it's just not a hyper-masculine thing to talk about in what is still a you know pretty masculine profession. But that level of comfort to move forward, that level of risk that is removed because this person, I don't know what it is, but when I'm with them, it just feels right. When they're talking to me, it's the way they look me in the eye. It's the way they shoot me straight, but they never seem to offend me. It's a way mm-hmm. that I just feel like they know what they're doing. I feel like they've helped people like me before. I feel like they understand what's unique about my situation. So they're not Mm -hmm. just going to slap some solution on top of it. Like, I just feel like this person gets it. That is safety. That's fit. That's connection. That's all those things that we kind of dance around. And you have to think at all times about what is going to enhance or increase that connection or what may erode it. And- I just, those are some of the bigger conceptual things that don't have anything to do with subject lines. <laughs> so they don't no. get play on social media. They have and, nothing to do with subject lines. But to a point you were just making though, it's, is this, it's so easy to lead with being human, right? Mm-hmm. And yet we want to say it's not important. And yet, as I'm just a huge believer that the differences between winning and losing are so narrow. You know, like say it's, I like to ask people, so your last deal, what was your margin of victory? Hmm. And they said, you talking about price? No, not price. How much did you win by? Were you 10% better than the other guys? 1% better? And it's like, you can't really answer. Right? You can't quantify it. So you have to presume that it's razor thin margins. And so what are the things you're doing that set you apart, that make the people remember you, make you memorable? Make you, I mean, and this, the point I was going to make before, now jump back in my mind is I always felt like, you know, once I'd started getting some experience and started seeing how things worked and sales, it's like, yeah, I want people that I'm dealing with at the customer to be my fans. I want them to want me to get the business. What a great way to look at that. I mean, that, that goes beyond winning others over. That goes beyond, can I just get them to like me enough? It's, can I get them to want me to win and not only want me to win this deal, but do they have some other people they'd like to see me win those deals? Want them to root for me. Yes. And now a word from Cognizant. Picture this, your revenue team armed with accurate B2B contact data that leaves missed opportunities and unreachable prospects in the past. 
Look no further than Cognizm, the B2B contact data provider that stands out with unwavering focus on data quality and coverage. Cognizm's U.S. data set alone offers two times more cell phone numbers than any other provider on the market. And it gets even better. 7 million human-verified cell phone numbers backed by a 98% accuracy rate deliver precision like you've never seen before. And if international business growth is on the horizon, Cognizm offers the most complete GDPR-compliant data in Europe, making your expansion dreams more attainable than ever. Customers like Drift have already experienced the power of Cognizm. In just 30 days, they proved ROI and now book 70% of their outbound meetings using Cognizm's cell phone data. But don't take our word for it. Get a free data sample and test the quality for yourself. Head over to Cognizm.com slash data sample to get your free data sample today. That's Cognizm.com slash data sample. The only good sale is the one that leads to the next sale. Mm -hmm. I mean, stop and think about that. The only good sale is the one that leads to the next sale because the customer, like you said, they've fallen in love with you. Right. And they in turn bring you more business or they refer you, they, they do it. But again, if, if we're doing our job right, but I'm going to go back a little bit to what you were talking about, Andy, in terms of razor thin. I think many times the number one competitor we have is the customer because the customer is choosing not to make a decision at all. The customer is choosing not to buy, remain with status quo or whatever it is, or just delay or stop. They do. Again, I, I think so many times, and we, we've all seen mm-hmm. this, where they may have a couple competing packages that mine and a competitor, maybe three or four, and they ultimately, well, priorities change, so they do nothing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I think mean, in that, most, that, that's a real issue. Sure. I think in most cases, yes, there are instances where priorities change. Yeah, I was telling some of the story I used to sell to a division of HP. And yeah, if you weren't getting the order before the last week of the quarter, and if they started to get a peek at their earnings, They'd hold all the purchases, right? <laughs> but that was sort of unique. But the thing is that in general, I think no decisions are losses. They are. Are because, absolute because, losses. The point you made, you've gone, yeah. The customer made the decision not to buy from right. you. Right. This is where sellers do themselves such a, a disservice to think, yeah, they decided not to do anything. No, that's not what happened. They decided to not buy from you <laughs> and you lost that deal. There is no such thing. No decision. Yes, there's a couple of cases. Yeah, nothing I said. Nothing's 100%. But by and large, if you're really being serious and being honest with yourself, you lost that deal. You did not give them a reason to buy from you. And you have to stop this fiction about no decisions. It's a loss. It goes in the loss column. Doesn't mean you can't get it back at some point, right? It feels better that it says, I didn't lose it to a competitor. They chose, it just feels better. No. It, it makes me feel comfortable. Loser. Yeah, here's the, the worst part well, the about thing, it. Mark is so harsh. But to that point though is, and again, I'm not trying to be harsh, is, but you win or lose because of you, right? Yeah, the buyers, there's, there's a growing body of research that shows that when buyers are making decisions, the single biggest factor influencing the decision is their experience with the salesperson. Mm-hmm. It's not the product, not the price, not the features. It's the ex- because those are all the same, right? So it's largely the salesperson. So when you lose or when it's a no decision, it is kind of personal because well, it's about you. They're making a decision about you. And, and not only that, when you lose to no decision, nobody wins. You didn't win. Your competitor didn't win. Your customer didn't win. Their customers didn't win. Nobody wins. That you have to take. Okay, let's make selling about nothing except altruism. Let's say there's no money. No one's feeding their family because you made the sale. It's worse than that, though. It's what because I think that what happens, and this is certainly I've experienced this, is is, yeah, we put that in the sort of we're going to get back or come back on that one, right? What was their experience with the first time? I invested a lot of time with you and you couldn't get me across the finish line. Do I want to go through this again with you? No. Oh, right. And I'm not posing that as an opportunity. I'm posing that as a reason. Well, I'm you just should speaking feel worse to general, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, hold on. Now you didn't even solve the problem. We have a problem that still exists because no one could step up and actually take control of the solution. 
And it's, I can't feel good that I went to no decision. I feel bad for myself. I feel bad for my competitors. I feel bad for my prospects because they're still stuck somewhere they don't want to be and no one stepped up. Well, we talked about this before is no one got to the level of understanding, making me feel heard about Mm -hmm. our unique view of what we're trying to achieve and our situation and so on. And so without that level of understanding, we don't have the confidence to make a decision. Every no decision is a black eye on the sales profession. Yeah. No argument here. And there's a lot of black eyes out there. There's a lot yeah. of them. And it's, again, <laughs> it's a loss. It's not a, it's not, we'll get back to it later. It's a loss. You need to treat it as loss. Yep. There's a lot you can learn from it mm-hmm. and you should be learning from it. Doing in-depth win-loss analysis, understand why. Yeah. Sorry. And interesting uh, fact is, and this is coming from our friends that closed, do you know, extensive win-loss analysis work, is that when they compare on a, opportunities the reason the seller puts in salesforce or crm why they want or why they lost excuse me and they compare it by asking the buyer the sellers only have it right 15 percent of the time oh wow wrong 85 percent of the time the sellers are wrong about the reason why they lost the deal what does that tell you about how much attention they're paying throughout the the sales process what does that tell you about the connections they're making or not yeah Mark. It goes back to the simple premise that salespeople always say, I could sell more if my company would just lower the price. <laughs> right? I mean, to do with it, right? R- right. I mean, they are never willing to admit their own sales process sucks. Oh, yeah. So, friend has a company in Australia that does win loss analysis consulting, and he's been on the show, gentleman Kean McLaughlin, and over a dozen years, done yeah, thousands of interviews, right? Not surveys, interviews with buyers about why they chose to go with one vendor or not. And so the, he summarized this in nine reasons why you win big deals and nine reasons why you lose big deals. And we talked about this on an episode that, that Keen was on the show is none of those 18 reasons had to do with the product, the price, or the functionality. Not one. And the only time price was mentioned is the customer didn't buy from you because your price was too low. Mm-hmm. Think about that. If you're listening to this in your sales, it's not about your product. It's about you and the experience you create for your buyers, the connection you make, the curiosity display, your understanding what's unique to them and their perspective, what's unique and how you help them navigate their buying process. Then if you want to increase your win rates, that's the key. But nobody wants to talk about the stuff that really matters. Oh yeah. They want to talk about subject lines on emails. Give me the hack. Give me the, what's going to work all the time. What's going to, there's got to be a silver bullet out there. It's well, not me. But again, well, yeah, it's not me. <laughs> but you think about this is we have this study done showing win rates, 17%. And yet people think problem is there aren't enough prospects in the world. It's like, yeah, plenty of prospects. If your win rate is 70%, 20%, 30%, 35%, you got more than enough prospects. You have yeah. too many. You because too you're, many pro- you're spending yeah. time with too many people. Right. And you're doing the disqualification you need to do to make sure you're focusing on those that are ready to buy what you're selling. Yeah. We have a disease I call horizontal prospecting. Oh. We should be ver- vertical prospecting. So tell us Horizontal that. prospecting means we take any lead wherever it comes. It's just yeah. uh, horizontal. We're, we're, looking, we're looking far and wide across the plains to grab everything. Vertical is where I'm going deep into an organization. Mm-hmm. I'm developing three, four, five relationships. I'm staying within that tight lane. Success in today's marketplace, especially, is not about horizontal prospecting. It's about vertical prospecting. Yep. This is how we're going to change this pathetic win rate. Yeah. Well, I, I talk about it as too often qualification is, oh, I found somebody that wants to buy a product like ours. <laughs> as opposed to, I've qualified this opportunity, to your point, made multiple contacts, they want to buy what we have, right? And there's a big and difference why between why do they want to and buy and why they product. want it, right? And there's a big difference between wanting to buy something sort of like ours, as opposed to buying something that aligns specifically with the value we can add. And we understand exactly what it is they're trying to achieve. We've helped them sort of define what the problem, the challenge is. We're aligned. That's you just you said it there, Andy. We helped them define what the problem and the challenge is mm-hmm. because they often. 
think they have an idea of what the challenge is. They think they know what their problem is. It's often, almost always, two or three levels deeper than that. Absolutely. But again, it, it goes back to, oh my gosh, I just said that thing out loud. I've never heard myself say that out loud before. Okay, now I have the actual context for finding a solution. They don't have that until someone helps them get there because there's too many other things to worry about. And that just, that goes back to doing healthy discovery, creating the space for those answers to come out. And it's not about telling them something. It's about asking good questions that get them to think differently. Exactly. About but what if we're doing if but if we convince ourselves that they're 75% of the way through their buying process, oh. then they've already defined that, mm-hmm. right? They don't need us to do that, which is absolutely untrue. <laughs> they do need your help to do it. Yeah. Again, buyers don't want to talk to you. They need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have that distinction in your mind, that's a good starting place. I agree. All right. Well, guys, hey, sort of the end of time. Well, not end of time, like end of time, but end of eight. That's when Jeff said it would be. So I'm marking my calendar right now, 2098. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it to my kids. I don't think my kids will be alive then. So. Man, you're dark. Sheesh. Well, geez, they'd be 110 years old. So I don't think, I don't think they'll make it. Well, of course, medicine's changing. We never know. So, all right. Jeff, people want to learn more about you, connect with you. What's the best way to do that? I think if you're listening to this on a podcast player right now, or maybe you're watching it on YouTube, go find the Rethink the Way You Sell podcast, or you can learn more about me at jeffbajorek.com. All right. And the sales hunter, Mark Hunter. that means you go to thesaleshunter.com. No. Of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, the books, High Profit Prospecting, A Mind for Sales. But thesaleshunter.com is a place to go. I think everybody can remember that. So, hey, guys, thank you very much. I look forward to having you back on the show. Hopefully this was fun. And I think people got a lot of value from it. Until next time. Always good to chop it up with you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode of the WinRate Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests, Jeff Bajorek and Mark Hunter, for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, the WinRate Podcast with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called WinRate Wednesday. Each week on Wednesday, you receive an actionable tip that you can put to use in your selling to become a more effective seller and to accelerate your win rates. So again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>